Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here as always, we got a usual suspects pod with Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. Gentlemen, always fantastic to see you. We are in the middle of in-season tournament chaos. We are in the middle of the part of the regular season, you know, IST be damned, if you will, where we actually know quite a bit about these teams after speculating all summer long, watching the preseason, watching the early regular season. We got real substantive stuff to talk about. On today's show, we're going to make the rounds a little bit, but not as much as, as we typically do so that we can hone in on a couple of teams that we find pretty darn interesting. Um, Slater and I were at the Warriors Kings game the other night and, and within the context of the uh, the old IST we're going to talk about that but Warriors uh, are going to be front and center Clippers are going to be front and center I see them tonight against the Warriors I saw them last night against the Kings and Fred coming at you with Nick's commentary gentlemen what is going on everything is going on Sam. <laughs> it's the in-season tournament everything is happening it's all going on it's all going on you know what you know it's really weird so i covered the knicks game on tuesday night and they beat charlotte and they blew them out and they had to blow them out to make the in-season tournament and they make the in-season tournament and we're all asking questions oh they're playing milwaukee next and we're asking about milwaukee in this the quarterfinals of the in-season tournament and in the playoffs first of all it was probably the first time that a blowout win over a bad team in November ever kind of had the vibes of a big, big win. Like, you know, when you guys are in the locker room after a big win, you know, it's late in the season or maybe it's the playoffs. It's, it's, it's late in the season. They're playing some team high in the standings and they beat them and they're feeling great about themselves. And the vibe is just kind of different. It, it was the first time it was the earliest I've ever felt like big season or big win vibes in the locker room in the early season, especially with a game like that. But like we're we're going around and we're asking guys about it and they're like totally into the in season tournament right. and I I did not realize number one how much players being into the in season tournament would kind of have a vicarious effect on people on the outside like I I didn't think that players caring would just vicariously make me care about it more and 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 number two. It was so weird because in the playoffs, you have the big win, you move on, you're like, okay, well, what do you think next about this next team you're playing? And we're asking about Milwaukee, but it's like they have Detroit on Thursday and they have Toronto on Friday. And it's like we're all just kind of forgetting two sure. random regular season games. Like it's kind of weird. I feel like I feel like one small edit moving forward to the in season tournament is they can make it so that like that last day there are no games in between. Like just I know for scheduling maybe they right. have to do that. Right, right. But like but like I just it just feels like okay, we're gonna kill the momentum with a, a random ass game against a, a Detroit basketball team that that cannot beat Western Kentucky right now. And a uh, you know a Toronto team that's whatever. So it's just like I don't know. It feels Western weird. Kentucky catching strays out here on the tampering pod. Uh, <laughs> Slater, as I throw it to you, and in that spirit, because uh, I like the way that Fred tipped us off there. We're we're gonna tackle IST first because we got plenty of time to talk Warriors, Clippers, Knicks, uh, and even in the context of the tournament. But for all three of us who have covered the league for a long time, it's few and far between when you you're kind of faced with stuff that is entirely new and it is fun and it is fresh and to fred's point about the 
little anticlimactic post, you know, IST game hangover, if you will. I'm at a Kings Clippers game last night where I think the Kings certainly wish they didn't have that game on the schedule because after beating the Warriors the night before, the energy just took an absolute nosedive and, and so did their play and they got waxed. Um, you and I were at that Kings Warriors game the other night that maybe goes down as the best game of the year in terms of just chaos and energy and, and just madness. Um, you know, where, where is your vibe? Where are you feeling uh, about the IST? Yeah, um, it was. It's interesting. I know one of the things that the Warriors people even mentioned, and even talking to like Dario Saric, right, who's played in some of these cups overseas, which I think the you know the NBA is kind of modeling it after. Was um, I think what's different with the NBA is it also like overlaps with the regular season. Like these matter in the regular season for teams who, by the way, at this point of the year, right, are trying to correct themselves, including obviously the Warriors at this point. And, you know, Sam, we were in there pregame talking to Steve Kerr, and he brought up a hypothetical, which apparently Dario Sarge is the one who brought it up to him. But, you know, because they had to win by 12, if they were up too late, do you give up a layup to go to overtime to try to win by 12? Like, what do you prioritize? Kerr obviously said they would prioritize regular season. you got to get that win. Don't worry about winning by 12. But then Steph Curry postgame, you know, he's kind of sitting in his locker. Me and Marcus Thompson were, were chatting with him a little bit, and he kind of admitted, like, man, you know, they did go for some home run swings late, and maybe the point differential when they're up six, eight with two minutes left does, you know, subconsciously impact the mindset. And then, you know, you fast forward the tape and they lose it. You know, it's tough to know for sure if they lost that game because of the in season tournament stakes. And by it is an important regular season game for them to lose. Um, but it, it's, I mean, it's new it's fresh it's creating weird scenarios and hypotheticals and stuff that we are never talking about in november which is cool it definitely created a better environment in sacramento the other night so it's good and then there's all these like tentacle uh stuff to it also where let's say the warriors do win that game by 12 they then play the pelicans in new orleans when the pelicans are playing really well right now and even if you win that you get either the suns and lakers in vegas I don't think that's very good for them right now. I think it's better. You know what they got instead? The Blazers at home on Wednesday night in a very low stakes game. It's almost like you would have won. So they're going to basically get that W back for regular season purposes. Either that or a horrendous L if you lose. Sure. But, but you know, real quick and and conversely to what you said, um, the the Kings were cracking me up because they didn't really seem to want to admit that the point differential thing was playing a part. And then Sabonis finally post game was, I thought the most honest about it. Uh, he talked about the idea that, and he kind of bluntly said that if the point differential wasn't a factor in that kind of a game, when you're down 24, that you might let go of the rope. And that the idea that they knew that they had to lose by 11 or fewer in order to get to the knockout rounds was the kind of thing that kept them competing, kept them going and next thing you know, that snowball gets bigger and you end up winning the whole damn game. Now, to your point, too, about the Warriors and that hypothetical scenario, and I might, I, th- I think I might write a kind of a column today with a few notes talking about this particular item, is that, you know, Steph and the Warriors are down one as that clock is ticking down at the end of regulation. So technically, they did actually kind of face a version of what Steve Kerr had talked about. If you want to go to the absolute extreme, does Steph decide to attack and try to get to the line and, and hit one of two free throws to go to overtime and then win by 12 so the, that you can... The question would be if he hit the first, then, you know what I mean? You yeah. do everything, all right, you get the foul, you hit but the But by first. heaving a three, you obviously are just wiping that scenario off the, the table. 
Um, yeah. And he just was going for the win. It didn't work. But that that pregame discourse that we had with Steve, it was funny because it was like a, a kidding, not kidding type feeling to it where he was kind of, you know, being in jest, but then there was truth in what he was saying. Yeah, I think one I mean, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but like it, I think there's a should discount towards the regular season. And I, and I believe it should because especially you want teams who are technically eliminated, not, you know, you still need them to care about the games. And that's one way to make them care about the games. Like, hey, this still matters in the standings. But right. um, I don't know. There, there does, cre- there at some point in the next few years, I bet is going to be like kind of a, a an overlap scenario that, that creates an oddity, I'd guess. And they're going to tweak. I mean, they've they've been consistent with that. Evan Wash is one of the architects uh, from the league of, of the tournament, and he and the league have been real clear from the start. Like, it's not going to look the same next year as it looks this year. Uh, so that's phase two of this. You want a flip side scenario? When the Kings were down, like, seven with two minutes left, Jason Anderson from the Sacramento Bee I was sitting next to, and he made a good point. At that point, you don't, you know, you're still thinking the Kings are probably going to lose. He's like, do they milk the clock late? Like, do you know, do you pull it out? Do you? Right, I'm like, I don't. Right. I mean, depends. You, you could. More right? importantly, and this is a one? provincial reference. I said to Jason during the game. I said so, do, and I think I tweeted it. Do they light the beam if they lose by 11 and and advance to the knockout rounds? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Fred, man. what do you got? That I I. I think it has to count towards the regular season. I I also think tiebreakers have to be tiebreakers are going to be necessary and complicated if you're only playing four group games. Two ways to make it a little bit easier on teams is number one, you play more group games. Like you in group play. Like you instead of playing four, maybe you play eight and it's over two months and you do the actual, you know, tournament a month later. Maybe that's one way you do it. Or you just don't make point differential the tiebreaker. You find some other tiebreaker to make it. And and that's the other way that you do it. I, I it's a little too quirky making point differential the tiebreaker. I, I don't and I also I don't think the players like it. That's the vibe that I've gotten. Like I was talking to Josh Hart after their game against Charlotte and the Knicks were just talking willingly. They were like, Yeah, we ran up the score. We had to. We knew point differential was a big thing. The Knicks didn't just have to beat Charlotte on Tuesday to get in. They had to win by probably more than eight. But there were a couple of like you know out of pocket scenarios where they could have won by more than eight. Not made it. Oh my god! They hacked Andre Drummond up thirty. Up up thirty. Seven minutes left. That's probably the worst case of this, right? And and Billy Donovan was not happy. I mean, look. Yeah, you're having Toronto meetings between Joe Mazzulla and and Billy Donovan at half court, right? And. And Billy Donovan is not an, a complainer or an aggressive person yeah. at all. Like, he's not somebody who comes out and says that stuff unless he really, really believes it. Uh, I mean, look, DeMar DeRozan got tossed from a game because Toronto put up a shot up 12 at the buzzer. Yeah, and, this and also DeRozan, might be commentary on, like, where the Bulls are. We're right now. Just <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. We're just only talking about the yeah. Bulls. That's a good point. But I don't know. I was talking... Are. I was talking about Josh Hart and jo- we're talking about it with Josh Hart and he likes the in-season tournament and he's also a really big soccer fan. So he, he kind of gets the inspiration for it and he likes following it in soccer and he compared it to that. But he also was talking about like, it just doesn't feel right running up the score. Like everything we have all been told our whole lives is like, you're up big with three minutes left. Like it's, it's one thing to just keep playing. 
it's another thing to like actively be trying to run up the score against this team that you're playing. Like he's like, he said it hurts the integrity of the game was the way he put it. And I'm going to put words in his mouth now. I think he would say that it's just bad sportsmanship. And, and he felt weird about it. I think most players, while they understand that it's part of the objective and that these are the incentives the NBA put in, this is basically what Billy Donovan said. He said he wasn't upset with Joe Missoula. He said, he said, this is what the NBA is encouraging, and it's something the league needs to look at. And like, I think there are maybe some other ways that they could they could get past this because it does it does feel a little weird with the point differential. That being said, it is the first time in the history of the league that anybody has ever cared about a thirty point game in November. Right, right, and that's what the league wants. So maybe they won't change it because that's I exactly might be what guilty they want. of, you know, and again, we've all covered the league for a long time. I think when you cover it for damn near 20 years, like I have, and, and then you, you have this freshness in late November that you've never felt before, even with all the quirks, even with the wrinkles that need to get ironed out, I am staunchly in the camp of, you know, yes, I like it. Let's, you know, it's something new. It's something easy or not easy. It's something exciting. The players like it. Like you said, Fred, if they didn't respond to it, then this thing would be dying on the vine. But the players are responding. The fans in the media are responding as well. You know, the other day, uh, you know, another little Kings tidbit, you know, Mike Brown talked about how uh, his coaching staff before each of their in-season tournament games had tried to get creative from a motivational standpoint, talking about how far uh, $500,000 can get you in today's society and reminding these multimillionaires, some guys like De'Aaron Fox who make $30 million plus, that let's not sniff at this cash because that's, of course, the winning purse for the in-season tournament championship team. And they're putting PowerPoint presentations up of how much property you can buy in Oklahoma City for 500 grand, how many bottles of red and white wow. wine. Okay, you can <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You I said know. Western Kentucky's taking strays. Yeah, yeah, OKC. Yeah. I'm about to jump on Zillow and, and dive into OKC. He's like, because three of you are going there at the trade deadline. And then I was happy for, from a PR standpoint, Mike was, was wise enough to then also share with the people that they did also say if you wanted to feed – a lot of people over the holidays, a charity meal that you could feed like 2,500 people, you know, Christmas meals or whatever the number was. Um, you know, it's different. It's fun. Uh, and, and, you know, in that vein, let's dive into before we do little mini deep dives on some of these teams and specifically the, the Warriors, Knicks and Clippers. Uh, let's put our prediction hat on because we got this bracket. Can I can I chime here. in on that, Sam, really quick? Yep, for sure. One one thing that I appreciate that most players are doing. I really, really anticipated when all this stuff first came out, the players were going to say they wanted to win the the in-season tournament, and they were going to say that they were just going to pity on their competitiveness and that winning is always important, the same way we hear players all the time say, like, my only goal is to win a championship, when, like, almost never that's a player's first priority. You know, it's like, I mean, people think the only other objectives are being selfish, but it's like, yeah, you might just want a nice place to live for your family or whatever else. Normal people stuff, you know, and I kind of thought that's what they would say about the in-season tournament. And one thing that has delightfully surprised me is how many players are just openly being like, no, it's about the money. Like it's <laughs> it's it's totally about the money. Like somebody, uh, Barbara Barker from Newsday, longtime Newsday columnist and reporter, yep. asked R.J. Barrett like last week. Uh, so are you like, are you like into this? 
do you, do you, do you like the in-season tournament? Are you into it or is it just like too much? And RJ said, if somebody offered you a chance, a free trip to Vegas to win $500,000, would you like that? Right. And, and I'm like, okay, well, when you put it that way, it's a great point. Like Josh Hart just has a bit where like he is, he just says he's just going to buy a ridiculously expensive Rolex and he just wants the Rolex. When the Knicks won on, on Tuesday, he literally just tweeted out a picture of a ridiculously expensive Rolex watch. Like these guys are just like, Quentin Grimes was up there. He's like, I don't care. I want $500,000. That's a lot of money. And Julius Randle, meanwhile, is saying, um, yeah, I just care about a free trip to Vegas. That sounds really fun. So and then I asked him, is it about winning 500K in Vegas or is it about going to Vegas? He said, oh, it's a chance to go to Vegas. That sounds great. Yeah. So I mean, like, but the, the Vegas thing, um, there's also just like a curiosity of what the event's going to be. You know, it's just like talking to a few Warriors players, you know, Kavon Looney, for example, like, right, he's been in like these like NBA finals environments and different stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, I, he is like us like i'm curious like what's this is it gonna feel like a west finals game in vegas you know like is it are there gonna be celebs everywhere you know the pregame shows going live on the court it sounds like espn and tnt are doing like meshed together coverage like i just think there's a curiosity of you no, know there is. During, in in early december just w will it feel like a playoff game and i mean maybe full will, disclosure maybe i'm yeah. going which is not i mean that's part of the role but if you, you know, if you pin me down and said, what's your motive, your intent, your strategy for covering the in-season tournament, I will get there eventually to figure one, you know, that out because that's part of my job. But the curiosity and that general feeling of like, it's history. I, I want to go and see it. I want to see what it looks like. And, yeah. you know, and I think that's real. Part of the appeal neutral crowd, of the too, is going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, neutral crowd. Although if the Lakers are there, I don't know how neutral it's going to be. Yeah, but yeah. Um, sure. part of the appeal of the playoffs to guys is everybody's watching, you know, like this is the game. It's like the ABC Saturday night game, whatever. Um, and that'll probably, I mean, we'll see. I, I think it's been very, you know, I think it's very positive check marks and pool play. We'll see how the elimination rounds go, but, I mean, the assumption right now is like, you know, a lot of people are going to be watching the finals, right? It's an isolated game on a Saturday night. Like people, players like being, knowing that, hey, like the the world is watching, including Fred's Indiana Pacers, right? Tyrese Halliburton, never been in an NBA game. Well, where, where that's the watching. thing, Slater, to build off that point, because you're right. I think the thing I like about the even the pre-knockout round in-season tournament games, it gives the spotlight to a bunch of teams that typically don't have it. And a lot of fans for decades have been exhausted with the league and the TV partners, you know, kind of unofficial calculus of New York, L.A., Chicago, you know, round robin uh, national TV games. Warriors, of course, because of what they've done. But the idea that now in Indiana and Sacramento and teams like that can have legitimate games where that spotlight is brighter, you see the players then respond. That is giving this part of the calendar a relevance that it didn't have before. So, um, no, I mean, it's been fun. Again, it's got all kinds of quirks. It's going to look different going forward. Let's get into uh, – Well, honestly, Sam, if you if you look at the teams that make it, it, it bodes well for the people who think that the NBA is scripted because it, it's the exact formula that the NBA would want. It's, it's lots of huge market, major, glamour franchises, and then right. each conference kind of has the young, scrappy – 
really fun to watch smaller market, right? Like in the East, you've got the Knicks in there. You've got Giannis and the Bucks in there. You've got the Celtics in there who get in there just on point differential when Orlando could have been the team that got it. And then you've got your scrappy Pacers team, which you know, people don't necessarily know, but are really fun to watch and might win Which over some fans. Which is Fred's winner. Fred's, just, just Fred, you're trying it now. You've got, to... you've got the Lakers. You've got Kevin Durant's Phoenix Suns, and 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 then you've got you've got Zion in there with the Pelicans playing great, and then you've got like that unbelievably fun Kings team, which is kind of the the Pacers of the West, and it's like that. That's a great formula for the Lakers. Or for the for the NBA, I mean, like it it worked out. I was like, ooh, okay, <laughs> now I know. Right who's <laughs> I love this path. <laughs> I have a single tracked mind on this podcast. Oh, I have a single tracked mind. It's a great formula for the NBA and a great formula for the Pacers, who were undefeated in. You said like, are you are you calling a are you calling a Pacers win over the Celtics? Yeah, hold on, let's go. I'm trying to get these damn predictions. Pacers, Celtics, Fred Katz. What do you got? Please, I mean. Right, Home team in the Pacers on. Home team, Indiana Pacers. Indiana Pacers. In a stunning upset, road upset. I'm taking the uh, the team without home court. I'll take the your Boston Celtics. All right, I'm taking Boston as well. Uh, they might drop 170 on your favorite team, Fred. Um, Bucks. They already Knicks. beat them by 50. So that's right. Good God, yeah. and you're still picking your Pacers. Way to go, buddy. Yeah, revenge be, game. Revenge game. Halliburton didn't play in that game. Objective. We I, Sam, I'm what curious. did I, I say? What did I say when they lost that game? They lost by like 52. They didn't have Halliburton. I said if Halliburton played, oh, that's right. They didn't seven. have Halliburton. All right. Fair. Pacers. Pacers by seven at home. That's right. Do you have Pacers underwear on right now? I just tell the people the truth. We need to know. You will never know what kind of underwear I'm wearing, Sam. <laughs> All right, Bucks, Knicks, uh, keeping it out east. Is that in MSG? No, it's uh, in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. If it's not in Milwaukee, then I'm going to be watching the game on TV from some bar that serves amazing sausage. Got you. You're going to Milwaukee. Who are you picking? Bucks. Yeah. Bucks, Celtics, or Bucks? Pace? Are you picking Pacers over Bucks in Vegas? I'm uh oh, we're doing the whole bracket now, huh? Might as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going Pacers over Bucks. Yeah. All right, there's his East bracket. I'll take Celtics. You got Celtics coming out the East. All right. Yeah. Well, who's you picking Bucks Knicks later? I'll take Knicks in an upset. All right. I'm I'm close I'm on that right. one. I'll take the Bucks. I think Giannis and Dame, they've figured out their clutch time. Uh they're not dominant, but they're getting it done. I think they beat New York. Then coming out the east, oh, man, I got Boston coming out the east. All right, going out west, we got Lakers, Suns. That is definitely an NBA favorite matchup. I'm taking Suns. I'm taking Suns. They've been playing better. Durant looks great right now. I mean, the Lakers are kind of, I don't know, like sometimes I, the Lakers are looking dominant, like in Detroit. They beat the Pistons. Pistons team. <laughs> uh, but also, what did they lose by in Philadelphia? Like, 40, 44. 44. 44. And LeBron said a lot needs to change. That one, I by the way. I watched LeBron. It was like on NBA TV. I randomly had NBA TV on in the background. I saw LeBron was talking. I was like, ooh, they lost by a lot. I want to hear this. And it was like, did you actually see that interview? Like I did, yeah. The most, like, like no comment interview I've ever seen from him. Yeah, I think it was buddy, uh, my buddy Dan Wookie at the LA Times asking the question. And, yeah, he got some truth out of LeBron. Um, that one, by the way, I love the fact that, and this is just kind of a pretty cool thing, that Durant and LeBron go, what, three, four years without facing each other, and then all of a sudden we, we get a couple of these matchups, and this one being 
on this kind of a stage. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all for the old heads fitting in as many matchups as possible. Um, I have got the Suns coming out of that one. Fred, what say you? Yeah, I got Phoenix. I mean, the Lakers offense is a real is a real concern. Meanwhile, the season that Kevin Durant is having, and he's back now. He just came back from from his from his short time off and dropped 30 again. The season Durant is having is abject insanity. He's shooting 49% from 3. 51 from the field. Like he 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 is 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 pushing on 50 50 90 right now. And I'm not saying that's like going to keep up but 16 games of 50 50 90 while averaging more than 30 a game is obscene well and also at 35 31.3 a game but also on this team that that obviously has gone the the uh outside the box point guard route with with Devin Booker running the show most of the time in the post Chris Paul era uh he's got five you know Durant's got five and a half assists I mean the play no help from Bradley Beal by the way yeah yeah no Bradley Beal um, it's impressive. It makes for an incredibly interesting West contender because they are really good already. Uh, I know they've scuffled a bit, but you know you see what they could be as long as Book is out there. I mean, I look at it here; they're eight and two in games that Devin's played in. Um, so eventually, I know the Beal thing is. I think it's going to take a while, but you know they're they're going to be in the conversation certainly later in the year. Yeah, and uh, I mean to Fred's point, like what him Steph Curry and obviously LeBron at his age are doing what they're all doing at their individual ages is uh is crazy I mean it's it's kind of unprecedented and I'm not sure we'll see I mean obviously like it's in the modern day it's a little bit easier to age later just because of like technology all that stuff medical advancements but we're also just watching three like absolute all-time greats in their like oh, yeah. fading days hold on as long as possible which is special for an nba fan right because you get to see them longer than probably you ever imagined at this top level but also like you know it'll one day end for for all three and i think we're learning just how special all three of them are in so, in so many ways i agree remember Slater when did... steph remember when steph got four for 48 in an extension and it, the reason it was so small was because people were worried about his longevity with his ankles now or now it's like the guys having historic longevity into his mid thirties, just still being as dominant as ever. Right. Durant tore his Achilles, still putting up insane numbers, still can defend. Unbelievable. Agreed, agreed. Slater, Suns Lakers pick. Or did you make it already? I said Suns. Okay. Fred, what'd you got there? Phoenix. All right. Uh Kings Pelicans, game in Sacramento. Slater was very happy he didn't have to fly to New Orleans uh, to cover that one with the Warriors falling. Uh, I will pick the Pelicans in that one. The locals won't like that, but Kings just dropped two games Ooh. to them. Oh, well, that's kind of, <laughs> I think Sam's neighbors are booing him right yeah, now. Right. I do. Uh, I mean, it's funny. Uh, super producer Dave DeFore, who's helping us this week, highlighted the fact. I mean, Zion Williamson just had himself a historic night at the office. Uh, please remind me who that was against. He hits 11 of 12 shots, 33 points. They killed the Sixers. Sixers, that's right, No, with no Embiid. But, you know, like monstrous stuff. Um, and watching a lot of those Pelicans-Kings games, you know, I mean, the Kings are a high-powered offensive team that struggled defensively. And when it comes to size and that combo of Brandon Ingram – and what he can do, and, and Zion down low, um, they just had nothing for him. It was closer in the second matchup when the Kings lost that back-to-back recently, but uh, it's just a tough matchup for them. Yeah, in the first game, like, you know, it was the second night of a back-to-back. Mike Brown kind of indicated that they wanted 
the Kings to double Zion a lot. Like that was kind of the game plan. And I don't know if they were just like slow to, to execute the Zion was just, you know, catch rip, go to the rim, finish going left. They couldn't stop him going left. Um, no Keegan Murray in the second game. And I, Keegan Murray still has not returned, but I do think he probably will Lower be back. back issue. Yeah. 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 Um, By the way, Slater, this fits nicely into the, uh, the, the segment that we were workshopping off air the other day where we said we were going to Fred, we decided that occasionally we're going to have a Slater and Sam glasses, half full, half empty King segment, because every time there's a debate, <laughs> of course I come in and pick the opponent. Uh, you know, I'm always that guy. Now, this day, this dates back to mid season last year where they were sitting at like the four seat or whatever. And Sam, it's not real. Gonna blow it. <laughs> have you ever seen major league two, uh, you know, Randy Quaid and of course. League yeah. Two? Yeah. yeah, that's saying like, they'll blow it in the playoff <laughs> <laughs> out in the out in the bleachers. Um, so just like you said, to, to fit well for this segment, glass half empty is picking the Pelicans to storm into Golden One and 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 shut the beam off and go to Vegas. Uh, and I think it, with proper context of they did beat them two times like a week ago, basically. Uh, but the Kings are at home. That crowd's gonna of of all the crowds of those four quarterfinals. I mean, I assume all are going to be good, but I think we know the Kings crowd is going to take it like, you know, serious. Like it's going to feel like a, a playoff game just because it's just matches. Quick, who uh, yeah. Quick shout out to the crowd in that Warriors Kings game again because I got the unique pleasure of sitting courtside. Uh, there was a lady behind us uh, who Kings are down twelve. I, I joked with. Uh, with, with Jim Ice, the legendary photographer from the NBA who was sitting next to me, uh, I said, man, I need this lady in my life. Like, forget about basketball. But she's behind us, and the Kings are down 12. And it's, okay, guys, 12 nothing run. Let's go. It's time for a 12 nothing run. They're down 20. Come on, guys, 20 nothing run. It starts now. It starts now. You can do it. So the energy was – she was the persistent voice in the room. They got that done. Fred, does that get the Kings over the top against the Pels? I – I think I'm going to go with the Pels. I really like the way they're playing right now. I mean, I know they didn't that that Philly didn't have Embiid last night. Defensively, though, that team is really rolling. I know they lost a couple of times in Utah, but defensively, they have been really good for like three weeks now. Really looked like another level since November 13th. They're actually fourth in points allowed per possession. And ever since Zion Williamson had that press conference where he talked about like hinted at not being comfortable in his role. Right. You know, his role hasn't really seemed all that different from what it was last year from the outside. Ever since that, he's looked more like Zion Williamson. Like for the first, there was a point not that long ago when Zion was shooting like 51% from the field. And while that's not a bad number, that is so far off from what we see from Zion in his career. He makes right. his living. The reason he's so dominant is because he gets to the hole whenever and however he wants. He's like a mini shack, and then he's able to finish there, and he has this beautiful touch when he gets there, too. It's not just physically overpowering, and he's got this incredible layup package. He was shooting 51%, and he basically takes just shots around the rim in all twos, and that just, it wasn't Zion-like. And then the last five games, he has just turned it on. I think he's asserting his, as, as Charles Barkley always says, is asserting his will more. You see late in games, he's really initiating the offense a ton, which I think is one of the most fun things to watch in basketball when they just hand over the offense to him. He's shooting 65 from the field over that stretch. He's averaging 28 a game. Like he, he has been much better in the amount that he is getting to the hole. He's getting to the line more. And he's finishing there a lot more often. He just looks like Zion Zion. Uh, also, 
maybe they kind of have Sacramento's number because they did beat they did blow them out earlier this year, and then they played them like a night later, and they beat them again. And often we see those two games split. It's hard to beat a team twice. So let's go, Pels. Fred must let's have just Pels. blanked out over the two-minute yeah, segment where we just did. talked about those two games, Fred. Jeez. Yeah, we, we just, we what are you doing? Are you, are you playing Tetris on the side here? Come on, man. I wish. <laughs> I wish. All right. Better I'm better talking to you, too. I'm a- I'm gonna move us forward. I'm taking Suns over. I'm saying Kings, uh, and I'm taking Suns Celtics in the finals, and I'll take the Suns to win it. I don't know if we can do. I mean, we I guess we each can do winning scenarios, but we got a different championship. Yeah, I got I got Pels uh, over the Kings. I got Suns over Lakers. I got Suns over Pels, and then I had Suns. Uh, let's see, on the East, I had the Bucks and, and the Celtics coming through. You said uh, Celtics. I said Celtics. Uh, yeah, I got Boston. I got a Joe. You know, Joe Missoula has got more in-season tournament coaching energy than any of the remaining eight coaches. I mean, you know, the, the dedication that it takes to hack a Drummond, the, you know, the absolute kind of reckless abandon with which he's leading his team, I think that gets him to the Vegas mountaintop. Oh, he's he's unquestionably coach of the tournament right now. Yes. For are they Drummond. do? by the way, are they doing like a, you know, let's say, okay, Boston wins the, the in-season tournament. Is it like... Do is there an expectation there's going to be a championship like celebration confetti half Parade court at home back in Boston commissioner? I mean, obviously, I don't expect like Jason yeah. Tatum to cry and throw the ball in the air or whatever. But like, are they going to bring the team to like center court and like have Adam Silver out there? Like, I don't know the answer. Champions. The idea that I've heard, I, I wish I could credit the person, but I've heard it twice independently. Is uh, that I would love them to adopt? Is I think Rachel Nichols might have been one of them. Was that? the champion and all of that $500,000 cash money that they just won, you know, um, it all goes on a roulette table or some kind of table in the middle of the court post celebration. And you, you have to make the choice to gamble your winnings in Vegas style and see if you feel like, you know, doubling your money, tripling your money or, or losing it all by the wayside. I mean, if you're going to do the Vegas thing, lean in and have some kind of post title purse, element uh gambling wise but uh as far as the actual celebration i don't know as healthy as that sounds i'm not sure they're gonna do it <laughs> i mean let's stop pretending they're not so deeply in bed with the gambling industry so i mean the Dal- the dallas mavericks are gonna play in a casino apparently so my god you're yeah. right uh, indeed indeed all right I, uh, we have wait i'm sorry we know your pick we know your i don't get to make the my pacers picks. I'm going, I'm, for going, MVP. I'm going the Suns come out of the West and uh, Tyrese Halliburton goes for 40 and 15 in the championship game and uh, the Pacers win the whole damn thing. He had to do it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> take us they're, they're, take com- us they're coming off that horrific loss to Portland. I don't know if you guys watched that loss to Portland. Oh, that was. Yeah, terrible. I mean, you know, I'm going to. I'm going to manifest this, Fred. I, 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 that's really corny. I actually always roll my eyes when people talk about manifesting, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, it's time for us to, uh, you know, shout out to Pacers PR, uh, Michael Preston. Tyrese Halliburton needs to come on this pod, and, and you guys can just have your little love affair and talk about, you know, all, all things Pacers for the entire time. And, and I just want to see you just shower him with praise, and he needs to be aware of the energy that you're putting out. He is a phenomenal player, and right now, bits aside, podcast bits aside, he is—he really is, I think, 
the player I enjoy watching the most in He's the league right now. Incredible. How do you enjoy watch. watching him and his teammates play defense right now? Actually, I enjoy it tons because I have no emotional investment. Uh, I forget who it was. Somebody made the joke that the Pacers are the best league pass team in the league, and the second best league pass team in the league is whoever the Pacers are playing. It's 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 fantastic. Watch, they're first in offense. They're twenty eighth in defense. It's one nineteen point three rating right now. In their games, their games are insane. They play so fast. But Halliburton is so fun, especially because his jumper is so freaking ugly. And every time he puts it up, no matter how many times you've seen him shoot, you're like, that's a horrible shot. That's gonna miss by twelve feet. And then it goes in like forty something percent of the time. And it's 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 a marvel every time. It's part of the experience. Um, I'm I'm into it. Pacers. Pacers we're we're gonna make that happen. We're gonna have a Pacers pod. That's gonna happen. I want to make that happen. But in in the uh, in the interest of not giving our loyal listeners false advertising, because we have uh, gotten so carried away with in season tournament talk that we're way deeper in the pod than planned on. Uh, let's make the rounds on some of the teams that that we talked about. And Slater, predictably, I'm gonna start with you because you got the biggest uh, or at least the closest thing see if this is an accurate statement i mean the clippers are a little messy uh the warriors are, are perhaps messier um when you talk about them starting six and two losing eight of ten i believe since then um you know you thought they could go to sacramento and have the warm fuzzy blanket that is a win over the kings um because they had i think beat the Kings seven of eight of the previous matchups going back to the playoffs last year you thought that would kind of be the get right game for them Instead, you know, it, it's about as heart-wrenching a loss as, as they've had in quite some time. Um, you had the, the Draymond return in Sacramento. Then, you know, I don't know your opinion on this, but I was – Draymond being Draymond is one thing. I was still a little surprised that for him to have the kind of, you know, um, finish that he had um, in his first game back after the five-game suspension was surprising. Um, a lot of tension there, I think, at least in-game. Um, lot, lots happening with your team. How off the tracks are they? Yeah, it was interesting. They had their best half of the season, right? I mean, you were there. for The first half, it was like Wiggins had 18, Clay had 17, and that's been their biggest combo <clears throat> issue early in the season was those two offensively. And they went up 24, uh, which, by the way, they hadn't blown a 24-point lead, I think, since like 2011 or something like that. Uh, they So it set up and and because Draymond was coming back I mean Steve Kerr kind of talked about the seriousness in the moment pregame of like you know this was kind of the pivot point early in the season like all right got the rotation back got to take things serious and I think the most detrimental thing that happened you know we could talk about the Draymond stuff we can talk about some of the coaching mistakes laid and the and, and some of the veteran mistakes the turnovers in the final minute that that, that made it a disaster night but the worst thing that happened to them, Gary Payton tore his calf muscle and is going to be out months. And likely, you know, they're, they're figuring out a, a, a timeline right now, but he's going to be out a while. And Chris Paul has a nerve issue in his leg that they're trying to solve. I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of like day-to-day treatment type process right now. Um, but, you know, his first in, he had played every game and played well to this point of the season, and his first injury bug has popped up. So they lost two vital rotation pieces along with blowing a 24-point lead, along with getting eliminated from the in-season tournament, along with the Draymond uh, continued kind of, uh, you know, issue right now with, with kind of his, uh, you know, inability to stay out of, of the referee's way and, and the league's, uh, out of the league's target. So, 
Uh, not great. And then at the end, you know, Steve Kerr's under a little bit of local fire because he has the challenge that, that doesn't work and leaves him without a timeout late. And then he benches Moses Moody, who was the hottest player on the floor, and then has now admitted it was a, it was a coaching mistake to, to, to put Moody on the bench. Um, so, yeah, not, not going great, 8-10. and 10. Uh, They got the Clippers twice this week, so, so I think your theory is going to be challenged. Who is in a tougher spot in the West, them and the Clippers? They're about to play in San Francisco Thursday night and in L.A. on Saturday afternoon. Oh, I didn't know they had okay, both. I, I don't. I hate the fact that we're recording and we won't have the results of a game tonight. Um, but yeah, that that is a, a good little competition, Fred. I got I got to ask Slater this because the craziest part of their season it wasn't that long ago. We were on here talking about how the bench is playing great. Now the bench is playing great. You pair it with that insane starting lineup, and all of a sudden, is this team a contender again? And that was based off of. Years and years of information that this starting lineup was awesome, as recent as last year. Like, their starting lineup last year was yeah. the best lineup in the league, plus 22 per 100 possessions. They annihilated teams, and we just kind of all figured that would continue because they all know how to play so well together. And Clay hasn't been – he's off to a slow start, and Draymond has obviously missed time and all that kind of stuff. But they're starting five, Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, which annihilated the league last year is minus nine per 100 possessions, according to Clean in the Glass. They were plus 22 last year. What? Yeah. It's not like Curry has fallen off some cliff. Like, Slater, what the hell is happening in there, and and how concerning is that? Like, is that just going to come roaring back, or do you see things that are, that are concerning to where that lineup is? Right now, the numbers say that lineup is bad. And yeah. Is it is it just not as good? Like where where do you think that falls? Well, Andrew Wiggins, the first three four weeks of Andrew Wiggins' season, he cratered every lineup he was in. Um, he was like that bad of a volume shooter and like ball handler, and and his defense, you know, he was kind of working back into condition. He had a rough summer, you know, he he breaks his ribs in the playoffs, so there's some level of recovery. He didn't come into camp like ready, really, uh, and that was paired with Clay Thompson, who. Had some decent games very early in the season, including the game winner against the Kings. Uh, in, uh, but then he just dipped into a, a, a really big funk that obviously when Clay Thompson's in a funk, he tries to shoot himself out of a funk, right? He doesn't just like sink to the background. It's more like maybe this is the night I score 55 points. Uh, so that so when you have your second and third best scores in just like combo slumps, which, you know, the crazy stat early in the season, we were looking at like, you know, game 10, game 11, and the Warriors still didn't have anyone on the team besides Steph who'd scored 20 in a game. Uh, so he just didn't have enough help. And, and, and when, when Clay and Wiggins aren't scoring, you know Draymond and Looney are not just going to like pick up the scoring load. So that's basically four of your five starters are not, you know, helping out offensively it's, it's it killed the spacing they weren't defending as well because i think clay's you know taking a step back slowly every year defensively because of his injuries wiggins just was out of it um and you mentioned draymond draymond sprains his ankle misses camp misses the first two games he's a little bit out of rhythm although when he's been on the court he's actually played pretty well and then of course he gets ejected in one game two games later is the headlock in the first minute of a game he's ejected from that game and then he has a five game suspension so uh it's just no rhythm, no continuity. There's still internal belief if like those five, especially because Wiggins is playing better now. He's had some two really big games recently, shooting better. Clay's had scored 20 and three out of the last four. There's a belief maybe a month from now, if Draymond stays on the floor and, and everything kind of comes together a little bit better, they might still look like one of the better five-man lineups in the league. But you know, it's, it, right now you're correct. It's been one of their worst lineups. 
I want to make sure we uh, save time at the end here for the Knicks uh, and Fred's view on them. So my quick two cents on the Clippers, having seen them last night, talked to their people, actually of, of the people I connected with, as always, I'm a sucker for P.J. Tucker, uh, rhyming not intended. Uh, you know, P.J. has essentially kind of been part of the James Harden experience from Houston to Philly and now to the Clippers. Why are you laughing so hard, Fred? <laughs> I, I'm just thinking of the double entendre. Go on. <laughs> okay. I will continue. Um, I'm five years old. PJ's view on the Clippers was very candid. That's why he's always a go-to interview for me. And, and the line that he dropped that certainly stuck in my head uh, in terms of candor was there's not enough basketballs on the planet for this team. And that's just the truth. Um, now, that being said, I'm going to go silver lining mode. They smoked the Kings, uh, dominate them. It was an impressive performance. J- James Harden, who, by the way, our, our you know esteemed Clippers beat writer, Law Murray, had informed me that going into last night, um, James had hit two shots in a fourth quarter in his entire time uh, with the Clippers, which is remarkable. I don't know what he did in the fourth last night, but it didn't matter because they were up so big. More importantly, in the first quarter, he had 17 points. He was aggressive. He took five threes, hit four of them. You know, the game before when they had a disastrous loss to Denver without, <clears throat> excuse me, without Joker, without Jamal Murray, without Aaron Gordon, uh, the Clippers had taken 23s as a team. Ty Lue was upset about that. So then you've got James. You know, I think it was probably a, a good thing where it, it kind of woke him up and made him feel comfortable about going out and being James Harden in the first quarter. Um, The other silver lining. So James finds his way offensively a little bit. We'll see if that continues. Um, Being part of a Kawhi Leonard post-game media mix, uh, one thing jumped out at me. He he just looks leaner uh, than in years past, which I think considering his health history is a good thing. Uh, He's always been an incredibly strong dude. Uh, I think he's dropped some LBs, and, and as far as that right knee that's been an issue, you know that's probably a good thing. But Kawhi Leonard has quietly played in every single game this year, uh, and he's averaging 34.1 minutes, second on the team to Paul George, who has also played in all 17 games. So, you know, this team that has taken a lot of well-deserved criticism for being the, the load management squad is, is kind of now the the poster, ch- uh, you know, team, if you will, of this this new season where the, the league is trying to get everybody to play. Um, I was down on the Clippers when they made the hard move. I said to you guys, I did not think ultimately it would work. And I'm certainly not flipping that and saying they're going to win the title, but you, you can see where they are getting better. Um, you know, before the Denver game, they had won four or five, I believe. That I did watch that Denver game. So maybe that's color in my, you know, current opinion on them. And I'm going to, I'm about to literally be at their next two games. So we'll see. But the, man, that Denver game was about as bad a loss I've seen from any team this season. You know, I just watched Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan uh, just pick them apart from a pick and roll perspective. Harden's defense was terrible in that game. And I like, it just was such a bad loss that I need to see a little bit more. The defense is really good. It's there's not enough balls on the planet is is quite a quote. Yeah, that's quite a quote. It's well said. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively 
prospect and engage high value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Also, well, the other part of the conversation that he admitted was self-serving is a little strong, but like we talked about the fact that when you have four stars, uh, I told PJ, I said, I, I recently saw Austin Rivers, you know, former Clipper, uh, former, you know, NBA journeyman who's now doing media stuff. He was on SportsCenter analyzing the Clippers. And, and the point that Austin made was that when you've got four stars, he said, no disrespect to those guys, but you know, stars are not known for setting hard screens, diving for loose balls, doing all the grimy stuff, winning 50, 50 balls, that, that you need to have on a winning team. And, you know, he essentially was describing, I thought, himself a bit, um, and, and even to a greater degree, P.J. Tucker. Well, you know, P.J. Uh, didn't – I don't think he played at all last night. He's not getting minutes. So they have a lot to work through. Um, I do – I don't know if it's lip service, but tried to press Ty Lue on this a little bit. You know, to, to Harden's credit to this point, and I think I'll learn more tonight, um, but – he came in with the messaging being that he's there to win a championship and to be selfless. And he's not worried about his numbers. Now the skeptics and cynics of James Harden, which are many within the league, I'm not talking media within the league had pointed to the fact that, you know, if you talk about that rockets subplot from the summer when Houston supposedly, and I've heard this independent from the reports, supposedly had been given the indication that James Harden wanted to come back to Houston in order to be James Harden, which is to say lead the league in scoring. That was a turnoff for them. So the idea was, why would you believe that he's willing to sacrifice with the Clippers if that's where his head is at? Um, and so far, you know, he's he's not raising the stink and he is sacrificing in a massive, massive way. I mean, he is at, uh, let me find it here. It's way down the list. He is at 98 shots a game in his 12 Clippers games, uh, you know, and Paul George for the season is doubling that at 18. Um, you know, he's, he's trying, it's not working on a lot of nights, but I do think in terms of his spirit, he's, he's approaching it the right way. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between not necessarily taking over and, and being unselfish. Like I, I, I find he, look, he's taken some more catch and shoots, that's a good thing. He's taking about three catch-and-shoot threes a game right now. He's shooting 36% on them, and that is a lot more than it was before. Uh, I think it was at 1.8 last year with Philly. But you still want to see that kind of stuff come up. Like They're still learning how to play together. And, and one thing that I have learned while covering the NBA is that decision-making on an NBA court, we, we a lot of time think it has to do with intelligence but sometimes it just has to do with or, or maybe even personality but sometimes it just has to do with habits 
And, and you just have, you build up all these habits year after year after year after year, and you might have the right intentions, but it's hard to get out of those habits. And I think Harden is still learning how to play with that kind of stuff. But you know what? If we're going to be Clippers optimists, I think they're really good defensively. I think Zubats is good in the middle, and you still have PG and Kawhi playing fantastic defense on the wings. Like they, even even with like Harden at the top, and them getting diced up by DeAndre Jordan and him having his best game in a million years. Like they, 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 they are a good defensive team, and they have a wonderful defensive win tandem when they're healthy, and that that's gonna bode well for them. But like I'm not putting them above any of the top teams in the West right now. I hear you on all that. It was interesting when when Paul George was asked post game about the integration of James. He actually focused on the defense, not James's defense, the team defense, and just said, "For us, it's going to be on that end." So I agree with with that aspect of it. I also um, Ty Lue made the point that, that to me is something that historically is really interesting to monitor. Is he 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 cited a couple super teams from the past and made the distinction. That if you talk about the Kevin Garnett, you know, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen um, Celtics or the Heatles in Miami or the LeBron, D. Wade, Chris Bosh, Cavs. Um, you know, I just put Wade on the Cavs. Apologies. Um, you know, but those Cavs teams that you had, you had wings and a big. You had Kevin Love. You had Kevin Garnett. You had Chris Bosh. And that you talk about not enough basketballs on the planet. The big was typically the guy who was sacrificing. Now in Boston – you know, some of that was Ray Allen. But this team, you're talking about if you go ahead and make sure you include Russell Westbrook because he was playing well for the Clippers before James came to town, you got four guards, you know. And, and that idea and that roster construction, uh, that's a different kind of sacrifice where even if your attitudes are right um, in terms of the functionality of the team, it's a different formula than some of these other super teams we've seen. Yeah, and Russ has struggled off the bench. He's, he's not, really struggled. He's at no. He's had a couple of nice moments, but he has really not been the same coming off the bench. And again, like it's just sometimes it's a habits thing. Sometimes it's a comfort thing. I think Tyloo is going to be was putting up like it, it. I don't think Russ was doing anything other than being willing to go to the bench. I mean, I, I, I was told that he offered it up over the summer. That he that he said that he would be down to do it. That he and he and Ty Lue had the conversation. If there's a Harden trade or if there's a Lillard trade, Russ said, "Yeah, I'll go to the bench if that happens." And so that was like already figured out when the Harden trade was made. So I don't right. think. And Ty Lue came out and said, like he he approached Lou about going to the bench. So I think it's just like it's not like he's never come off the bench. He did it with the Lakers, but I don't think he was comfortable there either. And uh, you know, it's just. It's a habits thing, and I don't know. It, yeah, it, I I don't think this team is is better than Denver. I don't think it's better than Phoenix. I don't think it's better than Oklahoma City. I just I, don't know what they are, and that actually, West. I'm kind of excited to see how they look in March. That's it. But I I also think, lastly, on this front, that that Ty Lue is uh, he's gonna make his money this year, which is to say, like you know, when it comes to not playing a proud veteran like PJ Tucker and Kobe Brown got the minutes last night, and Ty made it really clear that Kobe's gonna get. Uh, a lot of minutes going forward um, dealing with Russ where it's one thing to say I'm willing to come off the bench it's another one you know you're playing 19 minutes uh, last night if you were in that I think the game before um, these are you know Ty's making tough decisions uh, I actually asked him about like is there any connective tissue between his 
uh, Ty's Team USA experience in the summer where you you'd certainly learn how to use a roster that has you know, maybe too much talent. Um, that's kind of a national team dilemma every single time out, uh, you know, and trying to figure these Clippers out. And he did talk about how you learn stuff about managing egos and personalities, um, but it's it's obviously very different. So they're just an, an interesting team, and they're not going to be, I don't think, uh, the kind of train wreck that we forget about in January, February. We're going to be, you know, kind of analyzing them all the way through. All right, I didn't leave you a lot of time for your knickerbockers, Fred, but we got to get into to your team. Uh, you know, they are living that IST life in the Elite Eight in the tournament. Uh, how's your squad looking these days? They're playing well. Like, I know they're, they're 10 and 7 right now, but, like, they're playing good basketball you look at the profile and they have the profile of a team that's pretty good i'm starting to think that they're i mean you know i think i picked them fifth in the east and coming into the year maybe fourth and and i'm starting to think that that that's probably right about where they're going to end up they're 11th in offense right now they're fifth in defense the defense has been so much better than it was last year and if Julius Randle can straighten out whatever the heck is going on with him, and he's been much better over the last three weeks or so than he was at the start of the season when he was a disaster, then you you have something. Because Jalen Brunson got better, and that is a huge thing. Mitchell Robinson has taken a massive leap, and if the season were to end right now, I would now that all defense is positionless, you know, you don't have to worry about like Bam and Rudy Gobert knocking him off. Like, I think he's having one of the 10 best defensive seasons in the league. He's He's been phenomenal defensively. I think he's he's making arguments to maybe hop onto a couple defensive player of the year ballots, not necessarily get a first place vote, but maybe hop into some third place. Uh, he's been he's been that good defensively uh, and is having a historic offensive rebounding season. And you look through, like, R.J. Barrett has been better uh, Josh Hart's starting to play better. Like I think, I think this team is pretty good. They 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 get a little screwed because the reason they, uh, as do a lot of the teams in the in season tournament, because the reason they made the they made the in season tournament, and now because they made the in season tournament, they got an extra game against the Bucks, and they now have to play the Bucks, one of the best teams in the NBA, five times this season. And it's like nice. if they had just beaten Charlotte by like three on Tuesday. They would have still gotten the regular season win just as much. Winning by 25 matters just as much as winning three by three when we're talking about what goes in the wins column. And they wouldn't have made the in-season tournament. And they almost certainly would have been playing a team that's worse than the Bucs. Uh, so so they, they get a little screwed. And now they have an extra road game that they got against the Bucs. So it's 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 a lot. Uh, that that's That's kind of a flaw in the in-season tournament. I don't know how you fix it. I don't know if they ever fix it. But that's that's kind of a flaw where it's like you're making your schedule more difficult and potentially sure. making your regular season record worse. Uh, so that's that's something that that I think could be could be ironed out. Uh, but but, you know, they're they're playing pretty good basketball like they're they're being the team they're supposed to beat. They've lost some teams they shouldn't. They had a bad effort game against Phoenix, which was an aberration when they didn't have Durant and, and, and Beal. And they're they're a they're basically maximizing their talent on a scale of one to 10. And it's early um, because we're still in, <clears throat> are we December yet? No, we're on the 30th of November uh, scale of one to 10. How aggressive do you think your Knicks might be as we get closer to the trade deadline t- for adding 
a player of actual significance. Yeah, I think they'll be pretty aggressive. Yeah, I think they definitely will. Look, they, they've been eight. building. Yeah, so they've been they've been building towards obviously the chase for a star, and I don't think they're like gonna get into the Zach Levine or Demar Derozan hunt. That's not what I think. But I do think that they know they could use a big wing who can shoot and and guard big wings. I do know they made a hot pursuit for OG Ananobi heading into last year's trade deadline. They made a legit offer for him, and Toronto just wasn't trading him. And I we don't know how it's going to go, but Ananobi's a free agent after this year. Obviously, he's got the CAA connections where he's rep by CAA, and the Knicks have you know all these former CAA people running the uh you know running the team and he makes perfect basketball fit uh i could see something like that they have a full nine-man rotation right now but i could see them finding something and i'm not saying it's ananobi for sure it could be anyone but like last year for example they trade cam reddish who wasn't in their rotation they attach a first round pick to the deal and they bring back josh hart and hart really helped them and they have four protected picks from other teams, all their own picks. And I could see them making some sort of similar trade at the deadline. I know they don't believe that, you know, this huge star they might be after is going to become available during the season. They think next summer at the earliest, and maybe that's, you know, Donovan Mitchell or somebody else, whoever it might be. Uh, but I could see them doing that sort of trade, like a Josh Hart-like trade. They've still got Evan Fournier's $18 million salary. You could throw Horn Fournier. We don't know what's going to happen with Emmanuel quickly, who didn't extend before this season. And by the way, I had conversations about that on my new podcast, Cats and Shoot, which you can subscribe to <laughs> at patreon.com slash cats and shoot, K-A-T-Z and S-H-O-O-T. And you'll enjoy it. There are lots of Knicks conversations there. Uh, had Nate Duncan on yesterday. But anyway... I didn't just say that. What a slick so, promo. Just slid that right in. Way to go, buddy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things with, with Quickly is, you know, they couldn't come to an extension with him before the season. And he wanted he wanted a good chunk of change, especially after Vassell and, and you know, Jaden McDaniels extend for 135-ish over five years. And the Knicks didn't feel like they could pay that number to somebody who they view as a reserve because they already have Jalen Brunson. And we don't know what's going to happen with Quickly now. Like, okay, what if quickly gets an offer like that and restricted free agency? I mean, I know the Knicks view him as really important to what they're doing now, but around this time last year, they were calling around the league and seeing what they could get for him. And then he really broke out and played the best basketball of his life. And he's playing really well this year again. But the Knicks are not, they, historically, they have taken calls on quickly before. I know they offered uh, quickly for at least one really good veteran in his prime over the summer that was i shouldn't say offered but they that it was a discussion with another team quickly for a really good veteran in his prime uh so like i i i think that's something to watch i think trading a trade on the margins is is something to watch uh especially if we're talking about potentially bringing in a defensive-minded wing who could help them Good stuff, my friend. Uh, we lost Mr. Slater to fatherhood, which is, uh, is, is always a dicey proposition, as I can attest. Uh, thank you, as always, to the loyal listeners. Fred, thank you for joining. Uh, make sure you check out Fred's new pod, and uh, we'll talk to you all next week. 